For the second time in 13 months, we're meeting to discuss the impeachment of the President of the United States. Rushing this impeachment in an hour or two hour long debate on the floor poses great questions about the constitutionality of this process. But I will not use process as an excuse. Hello, I'm Jason Dick, and this is The Transition, a special edition of Political Theater. It's Wednesday, January 13th, 2021. These days, every day feels like it's of historical significance, but today is a doozy. The House has impeached President Donald Trump for a second time in little more than a year. It's the only time that's ever happened. Senior writer Lindsay McPherson was in the House chamber today. Lindsay, hello. Just to give some context, too, it's a it's a little bit of a madhouse there, even though we're supposed to be in a pandemic. Uh, Lots of people are there and you're uh, calling from one of the phone booths uh, in in the House Daily Gallery, which uh, somebody actually just opened the door and saw that you were in there. So uh, audio will be a little uh, a little muffled, but we wanted to get you right uh, fresh from the vote. Tell us about what happened today. Well, the House, like you said, did decide they were going to impeach Trump for a second time, which is monumentous. But what is more interesting about this impeachment is it was a little different than the first time they impeached him. That back in 20, December 2019, they had two charges for abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, and zero Republicans voted for either charge. And today, 10 Republicans supported the um, new charge for incitement of insurrection. This, uh, latest article of impeachment is meant to punish Trump for his role in inciting the violent attack on the Capitol last week. So that was significant. There was also all Democrats voted for the resolution this time where there were a handful last time, not even a handful, there were two specifically who voted against both articles. Colin Peterson, who is no longer in the House, he lost his re-election race. Jeff Van Drew, who is still in the House, but he switched to the Republican Party after the last impeachment vote. And then one who split his vote on the articles left last time, Jared Golden, who's still here, but he did support this article. Of the 10 Republicans who supported it, the final vote was 232 to 197. Of the 10 Republicans who voted among them uh, was Liz Cheney, uh, the number three House Republican. Right. And she has been outspoken for a long time as she feels she needs to when she, you know, about Trump's behavior. She's criticize him mostly on personality matters, but on sometimes on foreign policy and other things she's disagreed with him about. And that's really upset some Republicans over the course of Trump's tenure. But today things went far enough that some Republicans on the far right, Jim Jordan, Andy Biggs, who are, you know, Freedom Caucus leaders are saying she should resign or be removed as conference chair. We'll have to wait to see how that plays out in the coming weeks. There is, you know, a mechanism for members to bring a vote to the conference if they want to force this, but that does take some more support than just a handful of members. So we'll see how that plays out. But that is interesting that Cheney has described it as a vote of conscience and, um, you know, said she's not going anywhere. So we'll see what happens. And then some of the other Republicans, uh, David Valadeo, who had uh, lost his reelection bid in 2018 and then won in 2020. Uh, so, you know, some some folks in, in vulnerable races, too. Right. There were definitely some surprising people, too, as well. You know, Tom Rice of South Carolina, he wasn't on anybody's list of people that might vote for impeachment, you know, but some also some moderate Republicans who are, are more inclined to vote 
uh, for things like this and vote their conscience like Fred Upton and Adam Kinzinger has been really outspoken against the president. Jamie Herrera Butler, uh, who is uh, is a Republican from Washington, she and her colleague in Washington, Dan Newhouse, also voted uh, for impeachment. It's an interesting group that spans the country and, and the ideological base, it looks like. Right. And of the two Washington Republicans you mentioned, Newhouse and Herrera Butler, they both spoke on the floor today and received applause from Democrats when they spoke about supporting impeachment. That was notable because the overall the debate was pretty subdued and there wasn't a lot of reaction one way or the other. There are only a handful of moments during the debate when members in the chamber reacted. And one thing that it was very different about this vote, even in our age of COVID, is that uh, there are now metal detectors that you have to pass through to get into the House chamber. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, after the attacks on the Capitol last week, there's been a lot of enhanced security, including just today, they're extending, they had already put up uh, large fencing around the Capitol, but today as we've been sitting in the Capitol, they've extended the perimeter to the point where I think my car is now in the new perimeter and I'm hoping I can get out later. <laughs> but um, the metal detectors they put in yesterday, uh, my understanding is some members had thought that might be a good safety measure, but other members are really upset, particularly a handful of Republicans who do have concealed carry authority to bring their guns into the Capitol. And some I wasn't here yesterday, but some reporters who were told me that they seem to have at least turned the sensitivity down today so that not everyone who is going through is getting flagged for the minor, you know, the most minor thing. But you said that in general, like that, it wasn't as tense as as some of the previous votes that we've seen, even in the recent past. No, not really. There was, you know, not a lot of shouting across the aisle, you know, a handful of times people, it seemed like most speakers were given only 30 seconds to talk so the most like commotion was the chair trying to gavel them down at the end of their 30 seconds as they tried to talk over. Um, there was a Republican boot at Cori Bush. Um, she called, she wanted Trump to be impeached and called him the white supremacist in chief and some a few things like that that drew some lines. Matt Gates, you know, he's always fiery in his remarks, drew some groans and boos from, um, from Democrats, including Andy Levin, who did like the little twirl your finger around your ear to indicate that he's crazy. Um, you know, some minor things like that. But overall, I've seen far more heated debates on the House floor. And, and this is, you know, Pelosi has said on impeachment both last time and this time it's supposed to be a solemn moment. And, you know, she's urged her members to take it seriously. And they they certainly did that. All right. And now on to the Senate. Uh, we don't exactly know uh, when a trial would start, but it's not looking likely to start until uh, next week at the soonest, right? Right. Chuck Schumer had hoped that they could call the Senate back sooner. They have an agreement that, you know, they adopted that says the Senate's on session until January 19th. But the power that Schumer is looking at to do that requires consent from the McConnell. It requires the consent of both party leaders. McConnell communicated to Schumer today that he will not be joining him in that effort to bring back the Senate early. So the soonest they could receive the articles is January 19th. And if Pelosi sends them over and she's not communicated at this hour, but we might hear from her later tonight as to how quickly she plans to do that before then, and they have them, then they would most likely have the managers present on the 19th or the 20th, and then the trial would start on the 20th or the 21st. Right in the middle of the inauguration. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Lindsay, thank you very much. Stay safe. Uh, hope your car, you can get your car out of the new security perimeter. Uh, and thank you so much. Thanks, Jason. Fingers crossed.
We just talked to Lindsay, who was in the chamber, and now we're going to talk to staff writer Jim Saxa, who was outside the chamber and uh, in um, talking to members and also uh, just dodging National Guardsmen who are all strewn all over the Capitol. Uh, Jim, hello. Hey, how you doing? Great. You were up there in your capacity of, uh, you know, on, on behalf of your colleagues to try to gather string on things that weren't uh, related to impeachment and also to kind of be our eyes and ears uh, outside the chamber. Uh, tell us about your day a little bit. Uh, was it tense? Was it was it weird? Uh, like, I think the first thing you said you saw was a bunch of uh, National Guardsmen sleeping in the hallways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I want to go with weird because you'd think being surrounded by thousands of heavily armed guardsmen would put you on edge. But like you just said, when I first encountered them, they were uh, taking naps in the hallway. I actually got a chance to talk to a couple of guardsmen. They weren't allowed to talk to the press. So, uh, you know, no names. I, I spoke to them on the condition of anonymity, but they, they said they'd arrive earlier and uh, spent the night. You know, one guy I talked to said, it's marble, it's cold, but you know what? It's clean. And he's definitely slept on worse when he uh, was deployed abroad. You know, they, most of the guys I talked to seem to be in good spirits and, you know, we're ready to do the work ahead. It was a relatively calm here, uh, except when you talk to the members and the staff that were here last Monday and there the emotions are still really raw. Uh, I talked to representative uh, Patrick McHenry from North Carolina and uh, his, his voice was quaking as he told me about how shook up he and his staff still are. And he said, uh, you know, every conversation he's having with, his staff and fellow members feels like a counseling session almost. So it, it's been it's been quite a weird, weird day. And that's all without talking about the big news of the day, which was uh, the, the impeachment. The second impeachment of Donald Trump, and that's the only time a president has ever been impeached twice. Uh, it's, as I sort of said in the lead-in, every day feels like it's a big one, but this one's can we say it? Can we say bigly? Uh, it's it's the biggest. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is a big deal. Did you feel the weight of that when you were talking to some of the members too? What I really felt was uh, anger. What I felt talking to Democrats was that they were just incensed. Still, talk to uh, Rep. Connolly from Virginia and. You know, he, he described how he was, you know, he, he didn't know how he could ever work again with some of the Republicans that were still objecting. I heard gratitude from Democrats aimed at the few Republicans, I believe 10, ended up voting to impeach. Um, but I heard gratitude uh, expressed towards them. I didn't get the chance to talk to any of the 10 directly. They were pretty mobbed by the press when I saw them and I didn't want to join in uh, a uh, mini super spreader event. But I, I would say that it, it's emotions are still quite raw up here and people are at their wit's end. And I, I don't know how you can really talk about unity uh, as a lot of the Republicans are when many of the Democrats and some of the Republicans are really concerned about their safety and the safety of their staff and their families. 
it, it's uh, one thing to disagree about, you know, tax policies and, and you know, child, you know, tax credits. It, it's quite another thing to disagree about democracy and, you know, disproving of uh, a riotous, violent, deadly mob. One of the reasons that we have all these National Guardsmen there uh, and the, the amped up security uh, is is because of the, the riots on, on January 6th. Uh, these people were, you know, trying to they were there to do harm. It was very obvious and they did harm. You know, five people died in that. And. I'm. I mean, I'm glad that the that the security is is enhanced and that they're taking this very seriously as we head up to the inauguration. But is is it also? I mean, does it just feel kind of unsafe there because there's just so many people? Because there's this whole pandemic thing too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird mix. You know, I've been trying to take the pandemic pretty seriously and uh, spending a lot of time uh, indoors and away from people. And it is quite jarring to walk into crowded hallways and see, you know, these press drums again of, you know, 10 reporters uh, surrounding a, a member of Congress, which I saw today with uh, when um, Nancy Mace from South Carolina, a freshman who has come out uh, as a pretty strong uh, Trump critic so far. Um, when she uh, spoke to the press earlier today, there was a pretty intense scrum there. And, um, you know, a lot of people in close contact. Uh, and then when you think of the fact that uh, last Wednesday, we the members that were shuffled to a safe, undisclosed location during the riots reported uh, that some Republican members were not uh, wearing masks. And subsequently, three of the Democrats have said that they uh, have COVID. And just today, uh, a fourth member's husband, Ayanna Presley's husband, reported that he has COVID. And it's from, uh, they suspect, from that moment. It's just a weird, weird, a weird place to work these days. So Jim, uh, like like myself, you are a uh, a cyclist because uh, of its efficiency, uh, and it's also just nice to get outside uh, uh, in uh, in in such a mode. Um, did you ride your bike up to the Capitol today? Give us a an idea of what it was like because the security perimeter, the road closures are starting, and the security perimeters around the Capitol and around the mall seem to be growing uh, as we speak. What was it like actually getting to the Capitol? Yeah, well, once again, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be a big bike booster. Uh, riding a bike was the right decision and it was the best mode of getting around town today. Um, so the road closures actually start uh, as soon as Chinatown. I, I live uh, north of the capital uh, and come down through Chinatown to get here. Um, and in there, the D.C. Uh, police with National Guardsmen had already started blocking off the roads uh, for uh, through traffic, but they let the bikes go by and I was able to get to the Capitol. The Capitol grounds itself, including the parks uh, around the building, had been walled off with uh, anti, uh, with fencing uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, designed to make it difficult to, to scale. Um, and, uh, you know, right behind that fencing, as you approached uh, from uh, the west, uh, from the National Mall, there's just lines and lines of guardsmen, National Guardsmen, uh, 
uh, posted behind it, all, you know, holding um, semi-automatic uh, weapons. But once you get past the security on the outside, which was relatively easy, inside was sort of a different story. The first uh, site I really saw that stood out to me was uh, a couple dozen National Guardsmen nestled in uh, corners of the halls of Congress taking a nap uh, early in the morning. And uh, you know, later that day, I saw uh, droves of them Stalking uh, around like uh, tourists, basically. They're taking photos of the rotunda and, uh, you know, selfies uh, with uh, the statues of uh, Washington and Lincoln that you can find. Yeah, I, I was actually this one, uh, our, our colleague, one of our colleagues on the photo team, they, uh, they snapped a picture of uh, some uh, several black uh, guardsmen uh, posing in front of the Rosa Parks statue. And I was just like, whoa, okay, this is is all just becoming just it's just too much narrative yeah. <laughs> at, at this point um I mean, yeah it, it's just it's it's kind of mind-blowing so uh well well um yeah that was thanks thanks for sort of painting that like as, as we go in because i think that you know as as much as we see like on on television and on c-span and and so forth it's like it's very difficult to put into words and images just how different this is that even even in the context of an inauguration this feels ramped up way beyond that yeah it's surreal yeah well thankfully they are uh leaving uh soon and they won't be back until the inauguration so uh we can keep our distance and and uh thank you for uh you know all you did up there today and please be safe yeah thanks thanks for having me all right, we've heard from uh, Lindsay McPherson and Jim Saxa about the guardsmen and the security perimeters and so forth. We're going to talk to uh, staff writer Chris Marquette now about what's going on with Capitol Police. Chris is one of the best sourced people uh, on the planet uh, with Capitol Police. And today he had a, uh, a little scoop about uh, the latest development about the department. Chris, let's talk about the news that uh, you broke today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so basically, uh, you know, in talks with congressional aides who are uh, familiar with the investigation. Uh, the Capitol Police Office of, Inve of, of Inspector General uh, has opened a, uh, you know, a review into the events of, Janu of the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Uh, the review is not limited to officer conduct and could be much broader to include intelligence failures, planning failures, leadership and management shortcomings surrounding uh, the takeover of the Capitol. Uh, and in addition to that, I, you know, I've also ju actually just learned that uh, from another congressional aide uh, with knowledge of, of, of the IG um, investigation um, is, is that uh, the entire office, the, the, the office is committing its entire staff to the review of the events, suspending all of their work. And they're actually, this is the newest part, component of it is that they're enlisting outside trusted expert inspectors to assist with manpower. Uh, so it, you know, that does show us that they are taking it seriously. And, and to be, to be clear, this is, a separate uh, inquiry from the Capitol Police, um, you know, officer conduct investigations, which and that's all uh, done by the Capitol Police's Office of Professional Responsibility. And in in in, in that in, in that set of inquiries, it is uh, seven uh, no sorry eight investigations into seventeen separate uh, seventeen individual United States Capitol Police officers, and that is, that is uh, specific 
instances of right. misconduct that are being investigated. So this IG report is much broader, uh, and and it, it you know it, it tells us that you know they are taking it seriously. However, at at the same you know at the same at the same point is that, that you know Capitol Police is 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 very very secretive. They do not really. I have never I've been covering the Capitol Police since uh, for for over two years now and. They have. I've never seen an inspector, any part of any USCP inspector general report. They are not required by law to produce any of those documents uh, if they don't want to. And um, you know, at, at, at the same measure is that you know they're basically investigating themselves at this point. And you know, I know there. I think you know it's been publicly reported that there are a lot of congressional investigations that are set to ramp up, but. As it stands right now with Capitol Police, uh, you know they are investigating themselves too. So whether or not, uh, you know, we we've done CQ roll calls, done reporting before on Office of Professional Responsibility uh, instances in which we found that a there was a pot pattern of misconduct by male officers, and they were all met with light punishment by uh, by management. And those were uh, the lion's share of those investigations were conducted by the Office of Professional Responsibility. So, um, you know, again, talking to sources on Capitol Hill who are involved in these investigations and briefed, briefed on these investigations, you know, they don't have a great track record. I mean, one of the reasons that there is this opaqueness, too, is that they're not, uh, the Capitol Police, like all le the legislative branch, is not subject to Freedom of Information Act requests. As you mentioned, the Office of Professional Responsibility for, you know, for the you know, the people who are fans of, t of cop TV shows and so forth, that's the Internal Affairs Division. You know, that's, that's in, that, those are cops investigating cops. I think what is a little different about this, though, it seems, is that I've never I don't remember them ever suspending everything and saying, like, we're going to we're going we're gonna to do a very wide ranging investigation of all of this. And one, because of the trauma of this, that, you know, the, mo most of the Capitol Police, you know, sort of incidents that that we've you know covered over the years, uh, with very few exceptions, they just don't really penetrate the public consciousness. And you know, this, like this did. So, I mean, people like Nancy Pelosi or, you know, whomever, you know, is in charge when there is eventually a report or something, they could compel the release of that, which would be, that would be something. I mean, that's way, that's total speculation, but it seems like we're, you know, because of the uncharted water territory, um, there might be hope for us uh, looking at what will be just a, sounds like a huge probe. You make a really good point there. And, and that's that this, this department, this police department, has been overlooked by Congress for years. And for so long, even the relevant committee chairs who have oversight of the spending of the Capitol Police budget and of overall operations of the Capitol Police have always put their attention to this department on the back burner because you know it's not politically advantageous. It has never been politically advantageous to get involved really in these in these issues with the Capitol Police because number one, they protect members of Congress. So that's a big thing. And then number two, it's, you know, as I said earlier, you know, it's not gonna get you on CNN. Nobody wanted to talk about that until until the insurrection on January 6th. Right. Chris, uh, thanks for, for covering this. Uh, there's uh, a long way to go before we sleep uh, on it. 
and uh, and we've got you know an, an inauguration that's a week away. So there's a lot of reporting to be done. And uh, I thank you for uh, what you do. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. As we've said a couple of times, it was weird. It was surreal. It was historic. It has been a big day, uh, January 13th, 2021. And thanks to all my colleagues for covering it. Uh, It's going to do it for this edition of Political Theater's The Transition. On behalf of the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, thank you for listening. (laughs) 